Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. This episode of Law Enforcement Today brought to you by Galls.com. We're thrilled to have them on board, sponsoring episodes of our podcast and radio show, sponsoring our app, lots Everything, of great things. Jay, and, and you know me, my big feeling is, is support those who support law enforcement, and Galls has stepped up to the plate. They're supporting us, and we need to support them. And they've been in business for 50 years, 50 years serving first responders and law enforcement community. They're industry leaders. They've got a huge online catalog, everything you could ever want. Galls.com, check them out. Also, be sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Back in the studio after a nice long vacation, I'm John J. Wiley. Joining me like always. Robert Greenberg right next to you, Jay. You look like a little leprechaun there. You know, I, I had a phenomenal vacation, my first ever trip to Ireland. Went with my mother, all my siblings have been, and one of my sisters and her family. And it was important for me to go with her. She kept saying, I want you to go with me to meet relatives before I die. Just to throw that heavy guilt thing in there. This is my <laughs> last trip to Ireland before I die. die. I want you with me. I'm like, Mom, you're killing me with the whole dying bit. But it was phenomenal. What a gorgeous country. The people couldn't have been nicer. I've never met people that accommodating in the world anywhere. And the funny thing, we talked about this on Facebook. The crime there seems to be almost non-existent. You know how you go to like New York City or Chicago or Baltimore and you got to keep your head on a swivel all the time because the tension, you can cut it with a knife. It's not like that in, in Ireland. 4.77 million people, they had 30 murders last year. It's incredible. And 10 of those were committed by drug gangs going after each other. So 20 other isolated murders for 4.7 million people. Just crazy. And I, and I have to say that my wife was sitting while you're doing your live feed about your trip. So now it looks like I'm going to Ireland. You should go. Thanks, Jay. You should go. It's going to be great. We could send our elected officials from cities like Chicago, St. Louis, Baltimore. They got to go to Ireland and talk to elected officials over there and say, find out what they're doing differently. And I suspect it might have to do a lot with how people behave, not the police, the people. Now, speaking of vacations, we got a guest on the air with us, Larry Casey. He just got back from vacation. Larry, how are you? I'm great, John Jay and Bob. How are you guys doing? We're doing awesome, and uh, very excited to have you on, and I'll tell you why. Both me and Jay, as you'll hear as we continue our conversation, are pretty high-strung individuals, and one of the skills that we admire most in our active and retired law enforcement officers are people that can put pen to paper. Yeah, and do it well, and you're an author now. They're retired Chicago police and also an author, correct? Yes, I am. Before we talk about books and policing, you just came back from vacation. Where did you and the family go? We went to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. We had an opportunity to go with my cousins, Pat Casey and Marcia Casey, and a group of uh, people, about 26 of us total. And we were there for about a week, seven days at the Rio, and uh, it was all-inclusive. And 
the discussion every morning was, do we jump in the pool, do we jump in the ocean, or do we go get a massage? <laughs> Tough choices. So, and that's, you know, you know what I like best about that story is you're with a large group, and I, I do that once a year myself with a group of guys. That's just phenomenal when you're with like-minded people and family and a large group, because you always have company to do something that you want to do. There's always somebody in the crowd. Yes. What was so great about this was, this is my cousin, Pat, got this together, and it's his mother, who is my Aunt Crimble. She's 90 years old. And then the youngest on the trip was about a 10-year-old. So we had everybody in between. But and they, uh, so we they, always had something to do. And, and if we wanted to have dinner together, we did. If we wanted to do the beach or the, you know, whatever it was. I hate to say it, but in six days down there, I had four massages on the beach. <laughs> you live in the dream. I, I'm telling you. And then we you went the back to Chicago. To well, we left Chicago. It was two degrees, and uh, we landed. It was 85 degrees in the in the sun. Yeah, bit of adjustment so just, for you. Oh yeah, but you know what, it, uh, Jay? It took about 30 seconds to adjust. That's and, adjusting uh, to the Mexico weather. How was the adjustment when you flew back to Chicago to the deep freeze? Well, it wasn't really that bad because um, what we did and something. Something was interesting, and my wife and I talked about this. We took an extra carry-on bag, and the carry-on bag, there were six of us uh, in our group. So we took a carry-on bag, and that was dedicated simply to sweatshirts and, and jackets. So when we, we hit the Mexican beach, we or a Mexican airport, we put all, the, all our jackets and coats in there. And then when we hit the Chicago uh, weather, we took them back out. And uh, so we, we're ready for the weather. There you go. A well-organized plan, something that law enforcement sometimes lacks. Especially law enforcment <laughs> today. I could, I could tell you for a fact that we lack organized plans. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we'll be talking to Larry Casey about his career in Chicago Police Department, about his successful career after retiring as an author. Stick around. This is Law Enforcement Today. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Galls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. 
Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 3ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.the3ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 3ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Welcome back to Law Enforcement Today. Yeah, joining us on the phone, Larry Casey calling in from Chicago, Illinois area. Larry, you retired from the Chicago Police Department. Tell us about your career, when you started, when you retired, uh, and some highlights. Well, 1977, I was hired on the uh, Chicago Police Department. I went to the police academy in November. Uh, Previous to that, I had a decision to make, either having a a well-paying job or going on the CPD. (laughs) Seeing that my father was a policeman, my grandfather was a policeman, you know, it was fairly simple for me to choose the uh, Chicago Police Department. And uh, I chose it because of the pension in the future and um, the insurance that we were promised at the time, which is gone, by the way. But uh, between the grandfather, father, myself, we put about 100 years on the CPD. Um, 77, I came on, I worked the 14th district. I had a, uh, a real interesting case. There was a guy named Del Vecchio. He, uh, killed a young, young boy and, uh, uh, he was sentenced to death. And, and after a couple of years, he, uh, he served that sentence. Um, I was transferred to the 18th district, Cabrini green back in 78, 79, 80. Cabrini green is a housing project in Chicago. And it was uh, probably the most violent housing project in the United States at the time. It was the first time I ever heard automatic gunfire shots fired every half hour, hour men down knives, guns, you know, all that stuff. That housing project has been demolished. I think there were 22 buildings. It's been demolished now and it's um, upscale housing, upscale housing. It went from, it went from, Hardcore murdering projects to upscale oh, housing. God. It's amazing. I heard of Cabrini Green when I was in Baltimore, and we had projects like that as well. You go, it just it, people throw cinder blocks off the roof at you. It, it was killings almost every night, or shootings every night. Uh, someone didn't always die. That sort of police work and that sort of environment changes you. Was that safe to say that you weren't the same person after three years there as before you came on? Well, one thing, I was wiser, okay? When you say cinder blocks being thrown at you, I had a refrigerator thrown at me for the sixth floor. <laughs> That's a okay? new one. You know, so everything is bigger and better in Chicago. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, it did change me. It changed me for uh, a couple ways. One, you don't trust people, like Ronald Reagan, you know, uh, ver- uh, trust but verify. Right. Uh, but secondly, what it taught me, and it's a big lesson, a huge lesson, is as soon as I hit my, my front door coming home, I took that police mind and I left it outside. Not only with my boots and sometimes with the pants because of critters that would be in there. What you're talking about is you have to you have to leave that mind, that police mindset back on the street or back at the station. You can't come in home with that. That's how that's how the domestic start at the house and that's why you have so many issues with, you know, policemen's children. And uh, policemen suicide and policemen drinking and drugs and such. So that's that's a big lesson I learned. And that's and, um, not I easy was, to do. Uh, I used to try to do that mentally dress and undress with the uniform, especially taking the mm-hmm. soft body arm off. That was a, a mental thing. Say, okay, 
I, I'm shedding my uniform. I'm shedding the skin from my day on the job. But it became more and more difficult to do towards the end. Well, it's kind of interesting. With me, it was the opposite. It came, became easier. I don't know. I, I, I take my job, or I did take it very serious. But uh, again, I realized that the old cops and, and robbers, I got to the point where I understood that I'm a cop and they're a robber. My job is to catch them. Their job is to do harm and, 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 and rape and rob and not get caught. So it was, if you want to say it, a, um, a big game. Yeah. But again, when they got away, very seldom did I take it personal. Very seldom. It's funny. I, I basically took the same, almost mirrored your views and echoed uh, your thoughts right there. It's yeah. To me, it was a game, and I never take it personal. I never took it or take it personal. Very, very rare did I. And, and on occasion when I did... And if I can later, I'll tell you a story about one time I actually took it personal. But uh, but for the most part, I separated my uh, my business from my family life as well as I could. You know, if you're going to pick something, what's more important? You know, two kids and a wife or, or, or a job. Right. It definitely, so, family is more important. But go ahead and tell us that story now about when you took it personally. Well, I was off the weekend, and uh, this time I was a sergeant. And I came back to work, and I heard about something happened with a recruit. And the recruit was on, uh, he was at a detail at a fire, a house fire, and he was blocking pedestrian traffic by an alley. And about 20 people were standing on the sidewalk, and then one well-known gang member came up to him and started, he was drunk, and he started shouting at the copper and, you know, screaming at him and doing stuff like this, and saying, you know, you're not too big and, you know, take off that gun and, you know, I'll kick your butt, stuff like that. And the the copper was a recruit. He's a week or two on the job. He didn't know what to do. So he just tried to ignore him. And, of course, you guys know what would happen, you know, with a, a, a veteran policeman. You know, you call a couple of policemen and you take him and throw him in a wagon. Right. But anyway, the copper didn't do anything. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. So I found out about this. And I, it's a, a, a local gang, and what I did was I put a bounty on them. <laughs> and every gang member that my police officers arrested, the police officer would get one hour off at the end of the tour duty. And I had to wind up limiting, limiting that to uh, two per day. But anyway, and I also said if they caught the, the gang leader, the one I'm talking about, no matter where he's at, he gets arrested. And if they catch him, I have to be called in to speak to him. And they get the remainder of the tour off, no matter what time it is. So that went on well. Two so, minutes after something the, you can, minutes, can't do today, though. No. Oh no, God no, no. <laughs> no. And and you'll enjoy the ending here too. But uh, what had happened was, after ten minutes after roll call, two of my best policemen came in with four of these guys. So they got four hours off. And then over the next uh, two, three, four days, we were coming in. We're just wiping out the gang here, just bringing them in every single day. And what happened there was we wiped out two of their, their drug corners because when we hit the streets, they couldn't be on the streets to sell drugs. So the drug corners were taken over by another gang. The gang leader was subsequently bricked and bottled in a different district. And a week later... With all the heat that they brought on, the week later they they executed them. They killed them. 
unintentioned con- consequences. Uh, we we took care of two drug corners, but the the gang members turned on each other. So that was kind of an interesting outcome. I don't know if it was proper or not, but but we went back to work as usual. That I took personal because he's messing with some poor copper that didn't know what to do. Right. Now I get that. But, when I was a sergeant, you messed with my guys. You had a real problem. Oh, and, and that went with with the lieutenants and above. You know, I tried my best to shield them, and if they did something wrong, I I took care of it. You know, they they would never yeah. make the mistake again. But I did everything I could to protect them, unless of course they were corrupt or or uh, something horrible along those lines. But yeah. I get that totally. You did a career. So, what ranks did you retire at, Sergeant? And then uh, you've been retired how long? I've been retired nine years, and. Uh before I retired, I did get my master's degree, and now I'm teaching at, at a, a local college. I've been teaching there for nine years. What do you teach? I teach three courses. I, I taught all criminal justice, but I started with constitutional law, and I worked my way to administration, criminal justice, issues in criminal justice, and criminal law and procedure right now. Is that being rewarding to you, going from uh, the streets of Chicago into the academia world? How are those new shoes fitting? Well, what's interesting is this. I um, Actually, a radio show host asked me a couple months ago, how could I make that, that trade? How could I become a radical left-wing professor? <laughs> Are you a radical and, left-wing uh, professor? No, I'm actually radical right-wing. Okay, all right. <laughs> but uh, what is funny is this. It's, um, it took me two years to realize what power a professor has. Then it took me a little more research to find out what type of professor I wanted to be. I walk into my class every day. I bring my own flag with American flag because the school said that they can't afford one. I hang the flag on the wall. All three of my classes, back to back to back, we stand and we say Pledge of Allegiance. After that, I put a word on the board and it's called the word of the day. It could be respect, honor, um, hard work, whatever it may be. And we discuss that for five minutes. And then we do uh, current affairs. This policeman shot this kid, or that uh, that guy shot this guy, or this, and we we discuss it. We discuss the social problems behind the criminal actions. Wow, and I'd like then, to be in that classroom. Yeah, that sounds really well, really interesting, Larry. I, I do. Got to say this: this is in a college setting. Yes. And you brought back memories of grade school and high school for me mm-hmm. with the nuns because they would do all that <laughs> you just said. The, the yes. Pledge of Allegiance, we'd have the flag, uh, we'd pray, we'd have the word of the day, and respect, keep your hands to yourself. The whole. I'm amazed that you could do this with college students in the upper Midwest. Well, what's interesting is I had, um, you know, with the, the Kaepernick, with the, the guy Neelan. When I first started this, I, uh, I explained, we're going to say the pledge, no matter what you guys feel, you are going to stand, you are going to show respect. If you don't want to say God or under God, that's fine. If you don't want to say certain phrases, that's fine. If you don't want to say the pledge, that's okay. That's fine, too. You stand there. But you will not kneel and you will not sit. And out of 100 students in three classes, I had one person say, I'm going to sit. And I said, fine, get out of my class. Where's the the applause button? I need an applause button right now. (laughs) Hang on a second. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, going to have you. to suffice. <laughs> but, uh, That's but all right. You don't have to stand. Just get the heck out of here. That's awesome. That was it. 
I, I, you know, I didn't tell him the second half was, you know, stand in the hall until I'm done. I just told him, get out of my room. Uh-huh. What's interesting, though, is, and this is funny, and people don't know this, I, I asked my students, actually, at the end of the year, I give them a, uh, a form where they can fill out on me anonymously, and they can say anything they want about me. And uh, it's 99% positive of what I'm doing. Pledge of Allegiance, I continually ask them, how do you feel about saying it? And they all say they love it. They love it. It brings back memories. They're proud to say it. So I find it interesting. And I, uh, you know what's interesting is this. You've got a, a, a college, a city college, and I have to bring my own flag in. The flag is the type of flag that you hang outside the car window. Right. And I got that at the car dealership, and I hang it on the blackboard. Well, thank you for doing that. I, I, in all honesty, got to thank you for your service in the Chicago Police Department. That that goes without saying. We all know what that's like. Maybe not in Chicago, but policing in America, we know what that's like. But thank you for, for going above and beyond as a professor and teaching some old school values. Simple things like respect. One of the things we're missing in society nowadays, I believe, is that people do not know how to disagree and still be respectful with each other. It's like people can't mm-hmm. have an argument without wanting to go to blows or pull out a gun. You know, they don't know how to handle rejection that this girl doesn't want to go out with me. So they react uh, on their emotions instead of on intellect. And teaching respect is a big, big step. I, I know Robert was taught it. I was taught it at home, school, church, synagogue, everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert, I'm referring to you to synagogue, oh, not okay. me. I was, I was about to say. Did something happen in Ireland that I need no. to know about? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you for that. When you retired, first of all, I'm also very impressed that you have a one undergraduate school. We've been meeting a lot of police on our show that uh, have advanced degrees, and it seems to be a growing trend, which I think is awesome. The major reason I did it was I have two sons, and they're 26 and 28. And at the time I got my, my master's, I was 52 years old. I'm 65 now. And um, very simple. I told them, if I can get these degrees, you guys can. There's no excuse for you. And uh, one has a master's, and the other one, uh, he's working on his bachelor's. So I'm happy. That's awesome. I, I, I find the, the, the story about you in college with no flag just... I don't know if inspiring is the it right is. word. I'd say it's very inspiring. It's just, it's such a breath of fresh air. And it's obvious you're in the right setting because you're teaching criminal justice students. I couldn't help but think if it was a different line of classes, what the response would be from the student. Let's uh, see. Uh, American literature. There you go. And I'm very interested to see because I believe, like Jay said, about uh, discipline, respect. But I also think that the young adults today, and I call them very young adults, it's a mindset. So if you're in a mindset and you're coming into criminal justice classes, there is a level of respect in everything that, that comes with that type of environment. We're talking with Larry Casey. Larry is retired Chicago police officer, retired the rank of sergeant has a bachelor's degree. He's a professor teaching criminal justice courses in the Chicago area, and he's also an author. When we return in a few moments, we're going to talk more about his career and his book and some funny stories. Don't go anywhere. This is Law Enforcement Today. 
If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military, considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-610-9060. That's 800-610-9060. 800-610-9060. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Gauls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Gauls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Gauls.com today. Welcome back. We are talking with Larry Casey, retired Chicago police sergeant, uh, professor, master's degree, author. This guy's like a renaissance man. Larry, you are a pretty amazing guy. And all of a sudden, I feel like I haven't accomplished a whole lot in my my uh, older age years. So you're, you're doing quite well. Well, you know something? I What's interesting is I taught my two boys this, too. I do this for myself. I'm selfish. What I do makes me feel good. Outwardly, it could be charitable to other people and stuff like that, but I do it because I'm selfish and I want to, I want to feel good. And besides, when I was younger, I wasn't really a, a, a really good person, you know? Yeah. So I'm trying to buy my way to heaven. <laughs> I, I'm laughing too. Robert's laughing because, you know, I'm a, I'm a much better guy than I used to be. I'm I, much I, more considerate now. I, I think it's like a, a movie that somebody had me watch called Benjamin Button. And if you don't know what it is, it's a story of a guy being born old, and he regresses, and and, oh. and through his age, he grows young. And how poetic that is, because the things, as you, as you point out, Larry, that we learn as we mature and have life experiences under our belt, we would certainly reflect and do things differently, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, listen, could I, could I bring back a point that you guys sure. talked about earlier? Sure. When you said, um, you know, I can do this in my criminal justice class, but um, you wonder if it's going to be humanities or social science or something else, different class, how they would react. I was invited as a a conservative professor to a uh, discussion, and the discussion was on a, it was an essay written by somebody from New York. I can't remember the person's name, but it was on the values of life. And two of the professors there 
uh, we had maybe 150 students, two of the professors there had said that there is no value in working hard because that's kind of silly. There is no value in saving because money is useless. Uh, there is no value in marriage because marriage is only a, a paper between two people. What they did was they attacked every value that I grew up with in the 50s and 60s. And what was interesting about it was I, I sat there for about 45, 50 minutes, and I listened to it. And finally, I took the mic, and I had to say something. And I, I, I told them flat out, you know, everything you said is all be. I said I was taught, and, and, and it's right, too. If you work hard and study hard, you're going to get places. If you get married, then you have children, your children are going to be uh, able to uh, forge ahead in life with a better life. If you're better educated, you can have more opportunities. And um, I said all this, and uh, I was irritated. I was mad. I was flaming. But after a couple of minutes, I said that, and I, I said, I lived all this, you know, so I know what I'm talking about. And I, I handed the mic down, and what I found interesting was the students, they all applauded. They applauded not what I said, but they applauded the values of America from the 50s and 60s and 70s, the values that these two professors tried to attack. That's awesome. I think so. Yeah, it's just so good to hear that some of our young adults get it. But what the scary thing on the flip side of that is, is you have these two professors, and I will say corrupting some other young minds that sit there. And like you said, when you're a college professor, you didn't realize the power you had. And I'm just wondering what type of influence that they're having on some of the students in their classes. It concerns me. It, it bothers me too, but you know something? I, I can't do anything about it. I can, I can take care of what's in front of me, and I do. I will do anything for these students, and I told them flat out. I said, if you work hard, I will do anything for you. I will write reference letters for you. I will meet you at McDonald's at night and give you quizzes and tests, uh, you know, whatever it may be, I'll do. But they have to work hard. I'll tell you what, I, I, about 90% of my, my 100 students per semester, they go on, and I think they achieve, and they go on to four-year universities. And um, I was at the police academy a couple months ago, Chicago Police Academy, and I was dropping off some flyers for my book. And I had probably seen 10 or 12 of my old students, my past students, in various stages of police work at the police academy. What a so great what a great feeling, isn't it? What a great Absolutely. feeling that is. And what's nice too is they come back. I've got somebody on chips. I've got somebody in Kansas City. I've got them. They're spread all throughout the world, uh, the United States. And on occasion, I'll get a uh, I'll get an email. Can I can I give you another one, please? Sure. Okay, this one really blew my mind because I loved it. I got an email. It was about a page and a half long, and it started with Mr. Casey. It's all your fault. And I thought, oh God, now what? She said, I was going to Wright College. I did my associate's degree. I was going to go on to a local school here, DePaul, get my degree, and I was going to go out and be happy, get married and raise children. But because of what you said, I'm at DePaul now. I'm sitting in this small study room, and I'm studying medieval theories of discipline and punishment. I have... Two, four, uh, two, four, two disciplines of study. I'm going to have a double degree when I get out. I'm going to be an old lady when I get out. I'm going to be broke. I'm going to owe money. And you took my life away from me because of what you said, and you gave me a much larger life, and you made me see the world. And for that, I thank you. 
and I'm appreciative. Then she signed uh, the the note. But um, the way she started it, I thought, oh my God, what did I do wrong? <laughs> it's it's so, very impressive what you're doing, and really, in all honesty, it is like a breath of fresh air hearing this. Now we're going to take a short break. Listen to some sponsors. We'll be back. We're going to talk about your book, more about your Chicago police career. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today. We'll be right back. As a small business owner, there's one word that you absolutely dread, payroll. For small businesses, it's a big burden. You may think you're saving time and money doing it yourself. But come on, are you? Timesheets, processing checks, calculating taxes, a total waste of your time. Paychecks simplifies payroll processing, saving you time and money. Submit your payroll online, fax it in, or call your dedicated Paychecks payroll specialist. And you're done! Learn more at trypaychecks.com. Come on, do the math. The IRS dishes out 8 million penalties a year. Make one mistake and you're on the hook. On average, you're losing nearly one business day every month doing payroll. That's time and money you'll never get back, unless you get paychecks. More than half a million small businesses already do. Call 877-375-3164. Trade payroll pressure for peace of mind. Call now, 877-375-3164. That's 877-375-3164. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military, and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or or military considering buying or selling real estate contact honor the brave online at honorthebrave.com public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward despite the fire or the storm despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt they rush in to save to protect to hold our nation together for more than 50 years calls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. Welcome back to Law Enforcement Today. Larry, I'm just telling you, I'm sitting here and I feel like I'm a student in your class because yeah, uh, I'm learning a lot and <laughs> and I'm really appreciative of what uh, I'm fired up about what you've done after your career as a fellow law enforcement officer? Well, I understand both you guys, Bob and Jay. When you guys, uh, when you were policemen, when you went into something, you, you set your mind to do it and you did it. And uh, nothing was going to stop you. Pretty much I set my mind to tell the truth in these classrooms. And I let the kids know right off the bat, just like my book, by the way. I, you know, I tell the truth. Uh, sometimes I look bad in it. Sometimes I look good in it. But it's the truth. You know, we do make mistakes. And if we make them... Uh, you learn by them. If you do everything perfect, you never learn. Right. And we're human, so you're going to make mistakes, especially in police work where you're dealing with other humans and they're not always predictable. And that's how you learn. And I'll be honest with you, I was taught by the old timers. That's how I learned to be a good police. And mm-hmm. hopefully, those lessons I passed on to younger officers are being passed on to, to other officers in agencies, not just in Baltimore, but we have that ripple effect. Tell us about the book. What's it called? The book is called Stories of a Chicago Police Officer. And the way it came about, here's another story for you. The way it came about, this is a two-part story. 
Um, I was a patrolman working uh, the 17th district, and I'm driving around on days about two in the afternoon. And a call of a robbery just occurred. Came out three three guys with guns just robbed the store, and they're in a blue Chevy. And I'm driving right behind them on Irving Park. So I put it on the air on the radio, and I tell uh, dispatcher what I'm doing. I'm just following them. I'll pull them over when I get help. And uh, so I'm driving around. Now they start doing the side streets and stuff, and it got to the point where they knew I was there, and I knew they were there, and I didn't want a car chase. So I started pulling them over at a four-way intersection. Now, second part of the story is my, my wife's Uncle Paul. Uncle Paul was 83 or 84 years old at the time. He lived in the area, and he used to walk five miles a day. Tall guy, 6'4", lanky. Anyway, so I pulled his car over at this intersection, and I'm, I'm shouting at these guys, you know, show me your hands, and, and I'm using some impolite, profound words. And I've got the, I'm hiding behind the engine block, and I'm hanging over the, the front of the car with the gun, and I'm screaming at him, show me your hands or I'm going to shoot. And all of a sudden, I hear this, hey, Larry. <laughs> Larry. <laughs> it's Uncle Paul. I'm over here, Larry. It's Uncle Paul. And I look, and Uncle Paul's on a sidewalk, and he's walking toward me. Oh, no. So I, got side, I, got, I got the sirens coming in. I'm screaming on the radio. I'm shouting at these guys. I'm going to kill you. Show me your hands. And I got Uncle Paul saying, Larry, don't you recognize me? It's me, <laughs> Uncle Paul. And I know they're going to run him over just to get to me to help me. So now I'm shouting at him. I'm shouting at them. I'm shouting on the radio. <laughs> and the, uh, the sirens are getting closer, and finally all the cars slide to the, the, the curbs, and we pulled three guys out, three guys are on the ground, three guns, and proceeds. And Uncle Paul's standing going, Larry, that was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Here's the second part of the story now. About two weeks later, the wife and I go to a family wedding. And uh, we come walking in the main, main door. I hang up the coats, and, and Sandy, my wife, goes to uh, talk to one of her sisters. And I see, I go to the bar, grab a beer, and there's Uncle Paul. And he's standing with about eight or nine people around him. So I get my beer and I walk over to Uncle Paul just in time to hear him say, and that's how me and Larry caught the stick up, guys. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a phenomenal story. <laughs> oh, and, and these, okay. are, these are the types of stories that are in your book. Yes. That was the, the inst uh, instigation for writing a book. Oh, my goodness. Um, from there, I... That was so good. I mean, I, I laugh every time. I, you know, I keep on thinking, Larry, Larry, it's me. Somebody said he got great stories, write a book. So I wrote about 50 stories out, and I, I made six, seven copies. I passed them out to people, people that I could trust that would give me an honest opinion. And they all said, uh, you got some good stories. Three of those people were attorneys, and all three said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. So from there, eventually what I did was I rewrote the book, I've got about 170 stories in it. I changed all the names. I wrote it in third person. The, uh, the publishing company asked me what pen name I wanted to use. And I, um, the first dog I ever had was Murphy. He <laughs> was a boxer when I was about six. So I said Murphy. So that's my pen name in the book. It's Murphy. Okay. So it's Stories of a Chicago Police Officer by Murphy. And where can people buy the book? Local in Chicago, it's in about 10 stores. It's um, Actually, it's Barnes & Noble and Amazon carried online. Barnes & Noble here is carrying it in the store. And the main thing is if you, you can go to my blog and you can buy it cheaper. And um, there's a catch with that, too. If you go to my blog, www.storiesofchicagopoliceofficer, 
that if you buy it direct from my blog, you'll save $3. And then also what I do for every book I sell from my blog or my book signings, I send $2 to the uh, Chicago Police Memorial Foundation. Excellent. That's the, the Gold Star families for uh, fallen policemen in Chicago. And in the last 14 months, I've sent them $1,200, and I've got a check going out to them, probably about 200 in the next couple of days. I'm going to throw an idea out there to Larry. If you go to Larry's blog, you'll also get a signed autograph picture from Uncle Pete. Oh, that's awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. And that's nice. The thing about these stories, when I get together with, with guys I worked with in Baltimore, that's the type of conversations we have. We talk about the yes. stories that just, they have us laughing so hard that we're crying. And people oftentimes that are, you know, on the outskirts listening who aren't police, they're like, there's something wrong with these guys. And they, I don't know why they find that funny. I don't, <laughs> they don't. Get it at all. It's like we're speaking a different language. Yeah. Well, I had one woman say that she didn't believe any of the stories I said. Did and she say I've why? Policeman who, um, she said because nobody can do that stuff. That's all make-believe. The police can't and, do that uh, stuff. I found, is, that, is that what she's referring to? The police or anybody. Yeah. Um, I found that uh, real life is, is more unusual than any make-believe stuff you can come up with. So true. Very true. Yeah. I told you in the projects, I've got a, a refrigerator thrown at me from the sixth floor. Who would, who would, that's insane. That's nuts. But it happens. And it's, yes. I, I, I try explaining it to people and they go, what are you, are you kidding me? Why would they want to do that? And I'd say, I don't know. Just because I'm a police and I have a uniform. Yeah. That's why. I didn't want to arrest the well, guy. I just wanted I, to find him and ask him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. don't think you'd be that polite if they threw a frigid air at you, no. Robert. You would be nice at all. So you can get your books at uh, online at your website, your blog, which is www.storiesofchicagopoliceofficer.com? Correct. Okay, good. And a portion of proceeds go to benefit uh, families of fallen officers. That's phenomenal stuff. And uh, I have the book, and I'll be honest with you, I quickly leaf through it. I'm going to spend more time reading it for sure. Great stories. Now we got to go on a serious note. You did a long, yeah. colorful, productive career at Chicago Police Department. You're a Chicago native. You've lived in that area your entire life. Is that correct? Correct. Born and bred. How would you describe the current situation in Chicago? And, and what exactly is the problem? The current problem now is over the edge. To explain the problem, I'll tell you this. On 30 years of police work, rarely did I carry the gun off duty. Um, in the last nine years of retirement pretty much i carry the gun every day now so that that just tells you what sums type of, it all up uh, right there, we yeah. have here i think and uh again all honesty it's very simple it's all politics Explain. it's got nothing to do with anything else it's all votes everything in life comes down to votes out here now when a uh, a policeman shoots somebody for some reason they don't care whether it's good or bad or indifferent what they have to do is they have to hang the policeman, discipline the policeman. They would rather see a policeman get shot and killed than a bad guy get shot and killed. And uh, with a policeman getting shot and killed, the mayor can take his, he's got a little box in his, in his pocket that he pulls out a little teardrop and he puts it by his eye. And then he poses for the pictures on the cameras and he puts a little teardrop away. Um, when a bad guy gets shot by the police, as we've seen in Baltimore, we've seen in Missouri, we've seen in a few other places, Reality doesn't mean anything. That's when fiction comes in, and the stories change. 
And the narrative is that the police are bad, the police are horrible, and the police are mean. And that's a narrative here. You have no proactive policing anymore. We used to call it uh, shaking the bushes, where you'd go out and you'd see five guys in a car, you stop them and you shake the bushes and run name checks and things like this. None of that is being done. Um, if you see an incident nowadays, pretty much these, these young policemen, they just drive by it. They, they, if they get flagged down or something like that, they just drive by it because they're not going to be right, no matter what happens. Even if they are legally right, and if they follow all the rules of the Chicago Police Department, they're still going to be wrong. They suspended a guy once. This is going back a few months. It was some type of undercover buy or something like that. One guy's rolling around on the ground with the bad guy on top of him and got him by the throat. The policeman's partner comes up, and there's about four or five guys surrounding them. The policeman's partner, he can't take the guy off him, off his partner on the ground, because the other four or five guys would jump in. So what he did was he backed the other guys up, and then he turned around and he kicked this guy off the off his partner. I think he kicked him twice. Now, he would have been justify, justified in shooting this guy because this guy was trying to kill a policeman. But he didn't shoot him. He kicked him. And that gave enough time for the partner to spin the guy over, handcuff him, and the partner on, the ground, on, on top was keeping the four or five guys away. So it worked out okay, and nobody, no policeman got hurt. They turned around and suspended this guy, saying that uh, he shouldn't have kicked him. That's insane. Yeah. And unfortunately, that, that kind of thing is happening way too often. And uh, and I, I'll be honest with you, I wish I had the answers. I, I know I don't. I know that um, I, like you, am carrying a gun every day now. And I got used to not doing it. And after watching what happened to Sandy Hook, I yeah. got armed again because I couldn't live in myself if I was in a situation where that occurred and I couldn't help. That part of me, Correct. even though I'm long retired, I don't enforce the law, but the oath about protecting lives and especially other police and innocent bystanders, uh, that still very holds holds very much true for me. Larry Casey, man, we thank you so much for an awesome interview, and we're going to have to have you back on with us again in the future. I hope so. Bob and Jay, thank you guys very much. Be sure to check out Law Enforcement Today online. Our website is lawenforcementtoday.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook. It's very easy to find. Just do a Facebook search for Law Enforcement Today. We're on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, the whole nine yards. Get all the details on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. Another great guest coming your way next week on Law Enforcement Today. So on behalf of everyone associated with Law Enforcement Today, I'm John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya. See ya.